Destiny Church 217 podcast. Today we're hearing a message from Pastor Eric Hansen, Senior Leader of Destiny Church. Following the sermon, take a look at the episode description to see scripture references as well as helpful links to learn more about our ministry. Let's get into the message. I would say he was baptizing people, but really he was there as John the Baptist was baptizing people. The Pharisees had heard about what was going on. And of course, they're troublemakers. And Jesus decided, you know, it's going to be best for us right now because it's so early in my ministry for us to go back north, go back up towards the Sea of Galilee and uh, probably get to Capernaum, Capernaum, which was his hometown of ministry. So I have a little map to show you of uh, the journey that he took. And you may be familiar with this region right in the middle called Samaria. And good Jewish people did not like to travel through Samaria. Samaria was uh, a place where um, the people had, in, in the eyes of the traditional Jews, perverted Judaism, and they didn't want to go there. But as they went from Jerusalem, where they had been baptizing, up to the Galilee, this is Jesus and the 12, they got tired. They got tired. They got hot. And they stopped at the 7-Eleven for a big gulp. I mean, no, they stopped at Sychar for a drink of water. Sychar is the Greek word. Shechem is the Hebrew word. It's the same place. It's a town on the way from Jerusalem to up in the Galilean region. And they had to traverse through Samaria to get there. Shechem is part, Sychar, same place, is in the Samaritan region. That's all backdrop, and uh, of course, we're going to be going to Israel uh, again next year. I have some photographs of Sychar, the church there. That's the church at Sychar. You say, well, why, why is that a big deal? Well, back in the early days when you had a well in this town, that's where the well was, and people just had their houses around that. But as Christianity took hold, they said, oh, where, where's that well that Jesus talked to that woman at the well at? In, in check. Oh, there it is. It's the only well here in town. Let's build a church around that. And then that gets torn down. And then the crusades happen. And then another church gets built on top of that. And it happens over time. But the church doesn't move as the well does not move. So that is the place of the well at Sychar. Next slide. And there's the sign that says Jacob's Well right outside the church. Next. This is inside that church. See that old geezer? I mean, that old gentleman right there? <laughs> See that, see that guy? Well, this is actually, uh, he's a priest. He's a Greek Orthodox priest. This church is a Greek Orthodox church. And you may not be able to see it really well, but there's a basin right there in the foreground. And then the well is directly behind that. And that is the well that's always been there. Hasn't moved, that's the well. And so the next slide will give you a little bit better picture of what that well looks like today. If you were to go in that church, that is Jacob's well. It's never moved. It's always been there. And that is where this story takes place. Next slide. However, they didn't have a church over it back in the day, and it probably looked like this. That's not it. I just gave you a photograph of what a well in the Middle East looks like. And if should you have arrived in Sychar back in the day, this is probably one of the ways that the well may have looked should you have arrived. And again, it hasn't moved. It's always been there. And that is where this story unfolds in John chapter 4. So you, if you have your Bible, get them out and follow along. If not, you can read on the screen with me. And it says this in John chapter 4. Uh, beginning at the fourth verse, because everything 
1 through 3, I've already covered with you, which is that they've left Jerusalem, et cetera, et cetera. And so now he, he, he being Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came down to Samaria. Now, wait a second. I thought he was traveling north. But now it says he went down to Samaria. That's because in the Middle East, when we travel, we always talk about elevation, not north, south, east, and west. Jerusalem is on a mountain. And so when you go any place from Jerusalem, you go down from Jerusalem, whether you're going north or south. And no matter where you're at in the nation, should you be going to Jerusalem, you say, let us go up to Jerusalem. Let us go up to the house of the Lord, even though you're traveling south to get there. Okay. So he said, let us go down to Samaria called Sychar, which is Shechem, we know, near the plot of ground that Jacob, mm, there's a name, had been given to his, had given to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there and Jesus was tired from the journey. So he sat down by the well as it was about the sixth hour. Days start and stop at 6 a.m. Sunrise, sunset. When the sun sets, the new day starts. The Jewish day starts at 6 p.m. It doesn't start at 6 a.m. It doesn't start at midnight. If you're in Israel, the day starts at 6 p.m. in the evening. Well, why do the Jews start the days in the evening and not the morning? Well, because it says in Genesis, it was morning and evening of day one. It was morning and evening of day two. And because morning is listed first, theirs, their days start at 6 p.m. Aren't you glad you came to school today? Isn't this gonna be fun? It's gonna be fun. All right, so it's the sixth hour. So that means the day had started and now it's noon. When the Samaritan woman, verse seven, and, and the interesting thing about this woman, we will see her in heaven but we don't know her name here. It's not important that your name is known here on earth. And we'll never know her name, and she came to draw water. And Jesus said something to her. He said, will you give me a drink? Now, John tells us that his disciples had gone into town to buy food. I like that this parenthetical statement is given to us by John because it lets us know how come the disciples weren't involved in this conversation. It was just Jesus and just this woman. Verse nine, so the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for drink? And again, the Jews from Jerusalem way and the Jews, quasi-Jews of Samaria did not get along and they had not gotten along for a very, very long time. Solomon had died and the kingdom divided, Israel divided in half and then the second kingdom uh, the, the king, the, there's a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The kingdom to the north was Israel, the kingdom of the south of Judah. And we had this really great idea when we, when we developed the third floor of the building up here that the room to the north is called Israel and the room to the south is called Judah. So if you ever forget which is the northern kingdom, Israel is the northern kingdom, Judah is a southern, and if you ever go upstairs, we'll tell you to go to Israel or Judah, and you need to know whether that's the north or south kingdom. Little Bible knowledge as you work your way through the building. So the kingdom split, and then the second temple was built, and uh, the northern kingdom began to become very Greek. Hellenized is the theological terminology for that, which means that they were very uh, impure to the Jews. They had built their own temple on Gerizim, Mount Gerizim in Samaria. And so there was the temple on the mount in Jerusalem 
where the Jews worshipped. And then if you were a Samaritan, yeah, we mixed in some of the Greek gods and we started intermarrying with the Greeks and, and the Romans and, you know, it just whatever goes. And we don't, we don't really like the Jews. We're not going to go down there. We're going to have our own mountain. We're going to have our own temple. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. We all love Jacob. We all love Jacob. 1,500 years ago, 1,700 years ago. And Joseph, this is where his well is, so she gets into that story a little bit. But you need to understand, this is like, this is like Illinois and Wisconsin, right? There's just this arbitrary line between us, and there you're a Wisconsinite. Wisconsinite? Wisconsininer. A cheesehead. And then here, I don't know what we are, uh, but we're Illinoisans, Right? So verse 10, that's the whole story of why we have the divided kingdom. Jesus answered her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you Zoe water. He would have given you life water. He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you got nothing to drink. Now, whether she's being sarcastic, we're not quite sure in the text because you can't write in sarcasm. I don't know whether she was being sarcastic or she was being real. She says, sir, we really don't have anything. You don't have anything to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She continues, are you greater than our father Jacob? Now, our father. She says, hey, this is our father who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his son, Joseph, the flocks and the herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, pointing to the well, is going to be thirsty again. Whatever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living, welling up water, and that will be to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband, then come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, oh, you're right. You don't have a husband. The fact is you've had, in fact, had five husbands. And the one you're with right now, you're just shacking up. Well, what you've said is true, she says. The fact that I've had five husbands is true. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. You read my mail. Nobody told you that. And here we are. Still locking eyeball to eyeball talking about living water. Now, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we have to go is down to Jerusalem. Jesus declared, well, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship neither father, worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. What's he talking about? He's talking about post-resurrection. He's saying, hey, listen, we got this for a few more years, then we're gonna, we'll be able to worship anywhere because the, the temple will not be needed anymore because we'll become the temple. That's the backstory. So you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. Remember, if you want the Lord to show up, be a worshiper because he's looking for you. When you start to worship, anthropomorphically, Jesus in heaven goes like this. Hey, shh, be quiet, everybody. Somebody's worshiping me in spirit, in truth. I need, wait, wait, wait. Well, 
What's going on in heaven? The angels are shouting, glory, 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 hallelujah, praise the Lord. But those are created beings. That's what they're programmed to do. Jesus, the Lord, silences all of heaven to listen to the song of the redeemed. He says, listen, this is all great, but this in heaven, that's Muzak. That's the elevator noise in the background of my life. If I, if, if I hear someone worshiping me in spirit, I, I, I gotta check that out. Where, where's that happen? Oh, Destiny Church? And, and Cherry Hills and Westside and Calvary Temple. You know when, when, when the Lord steps to the edge of the sapphire sill of heaven, he does not look upon a church. He looks upon his church. And a few of them are here and a few of them are there and a few of them are there. The desire is that we all worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, I'm not a good singer. No one says you have to be a good singer. Just make a joyful noise to the Lord. Just, just give your two mites, your two widows mites. It'll be as much, if not more, than anybody else that sings. Sing loud. Sing off key. We'll just turn the music up. Doesn't bother us. <laughs> and and, and I, have, I don't have perfect pitch, but I have relative pitch. And so I could really tell when things are out of tune, guitars and instruments and vocalists. But if you were to have perfect pitch, you ever seen some of these reels or things on, on Facebook or wherever, you got these, these savants that can just tell you what note is being played on a piano. So even if you had perfect pitch, do you realize that to God, your perfect pitch is out of tune? Because he is perfect. He is the embodiment of perfect. So no matter how good you worship, it's still out of tune to him. So don't judge yourself so harshly. Just enter in and worship in spirit. Hello? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. That's my whole sermon on worship right there. We're not even, we haven't even got to the sermon yet, so just hang, hang tight for a second. And said, uh, verse 24, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word. It means the same thing. Just like Sychar and Shechem, they mean the same thing. It's just two different languages. Just like fire and fuego, just like agua and water, they both mean the same thing. They're just different languages. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is Greek. And so she's speaking Hebrew. She says, I know that the Messiah, we know the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's gonna explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, underline this if, if you have your Bible with you because it's important. Jesus says, he declared, I who speak to you am he. He's saying, I'm the Messiah, right there. He says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. So you're watching this in a movie. She, they're having this conversation. It's intense. They're debating, they're talking, living water, and Jacob, and, and he goes, no, I am Messiah. So you're watching this on television, it's a movie, and then the, the camera's cut. Here come, the, here come the, 12, the seven dwarfs, the 12 apostles. And they, oh, he's talking to a woman. This is not good. Why? Because men don't talk to women that they don't know, particularly Samaritan women. So what, what unfolds? Just then, the disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one dared ask them what was going on, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town 
and said to the people, what did she do first of all? She left the very thing she came for. Having met the real deal, she said, my counterfeit is not nearly as important as I thought it was. She left her water jar. Some of you, listen to me, look up here. Some of you have a water jar in your life that you need to let go of. You're trusting that thing for eternal life. Jesus says, no. So she left it and she told everyone in the city, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah, the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way towards him, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's martos, because of the woman's testimony. Greek word is martos, like martyr. She, she decided that she was no longer the most important thing. She died to herself, martos. She gave a testimony about what Jesus had done for her. And he told me everything I ever did, verse 40. So when the Samaritan came to him, they urged him to say, stay with, hey, stay a couple more days, Jesus. And because of his words, many more became believers. Last verse. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said now. So she went and she evangelized them. She went and told them the good news. Hey, I found the Messiah. I found the Christ. He gives living water. I, I, I mean, I don't even know what to say about it. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, oh, where's my water jar? Oh, I left it. I don't care. I found living water. No longer do we believe just because you said so. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know, gnosis, we know that this man really is the sotir, the soteriology, the salvation of the what? This is verse 42. Do we have 42, Rose? We don't have verse 42? Oh, so verse 42, I'll read it to you again at the end of it. We know that he really is the savior of the world. The, world, the word world there, I love it, is because it's the Greek word cosmos. He's the savior of the universe. Okay, that's all way, by way of introduction. So what I have to give you is four very quick things. I want you to write these down that we glean from this passage. Number one, Jesus is the Messiah. In verse 25 and 26, I already pointed out that he is who he says he is. He says, I, I, you're talking about the Christ, Messiah, woman? Guess what? The person you're talking to, I'm him. And I am the savior of the cosmos of the entire world. That's cool, isn't it? I said, that's cool, isn't it? Right, C.S. Lewis said, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And so I'll submit to you this morning, if you're passive, if you're neutral, if you're in the middle, yeah, Jesus is a good teacher, then you're not saved. You're not saved. You can, you can stay here because the church, because we're gathered here today, not just for ourselves, we're gathered here for seekers. The beautiful thing about the church is you don't have to believe like us to come here because none of you believed like that initially, right? So you come and you go, I'm gonna check this, I'm gonna check this whole church thing out. I'm gonna check this whole Jesus thing out. So seekers, doubters are welcome. Aren't doubt, shouldn't doubters be welcome in church? Of course they should be welcome in church. So you bring your unsaved friends, bring them here. Jesus says, I am the savior of the world. So uh, if he's not that to you, if he isn't the savior of the world, then what C.S. Lewis said, you know, he's either a liar or a lunatic. Right, hot or cold, for or against. That's this, this walking the middle of the road 
What do you find in the middle of the road? Dead animals. Yellow lines run right up the middle of your back. So you gotta decide, either Jesus is, that's the power of the testimony yesterday, wasn't it, Diane, when we were out there? I said, here's Diane, Diane's giving her heart, Diane loves the Lord, Diane, why don't you tell them about what it is that, that and, and, and every person, every testimony is like, I love Jesus, I love the Lord. That's that public confession, Jesus is the Lord. He is the savior of my life. That's what you have to come to, to become a Christian. Now, if, that, if that's not you yet, Keep hanging around the banks of the river. You'll fall in eventually. You'll fall in eventually. Some people, it takes a while for them to warm up to the idea that Jesus is Lord. Some people just have a, you know, just like a light switch, turns on. Oh my gosh, I got saved, I got delivered, I got healed, whatever, boom, just light switch, boop, just like that. But some of them just work like a rheostat. You know, the dimmer at home. And then someday you go, I guess I do love Jesus. I guess he is the Lord of my life. That's who he is. I would ask that you would consider Jesus to be your Lord, your Messiah, your Christ. Number two, as he did to that woman. Secondly, what does he offer? Well, he offers salvation, this living water. It's a metaphor, of course, obviously. But you know, the world offers us so many alternatives to Jesus. In fact, the world says anything but Jesus. You, can, you wanna be a cat, you wanna be a dog, you wanna, you, wanna, you wanna worship YouTube people. What are they called? Influencers. Excuse me. Influencers. How about the greatest influencer ever? The, the, the enemy, the devil will let you worship anything or anyone but Jesus. Not just people, I don't worship anybody, but you worship what? Your body. You worship your body. If you worship your body more than Jesus, you're not a martyr. You're not willing to be a martos. Oh no, my physique. Oh no, I could never die. Oh no, I'm too handsome. I'm too beautiful, Right? People worship their looks. Are you living under a rock? Do you hear what I'm saying? People worship their looks. Now look, be presentable. Do the best you can with what you got. I'm trying, I'm trying. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's all gonna burn. People worship loads of money. Well, the World Economic Forum will make sure you don't have any and like it pretty soon. They worship their family. They worship their friends. Let me give you a newsflash. Everybody you love, if the rapture doesn't happen, is gonna die. They're gonna die on you. Or you may die on them. Boy, I got quiet in the silence of the lambs, as they say. You know, that's the reality. Well, I, I love my wife, I'm with my wife, I've been married 39 years in my life, but someday either she's going or I'm going first. That's just the way it is. And you gotta figure out, you know, if, 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 you, if, those, if, if, if that's at the top of the, of, of the hierarchy of belief in your life, you've got a problem because your family will eventually leave you. Somebody's gonna die. Your friends, fickle, fickle. Well, I've had the same, my, my mom just went to a funeral of a lady that you went to grade school with. 
She's 84, by the way. She looks like she's 60, my mom. She's awesome. I've known, this, I've known this girl since grade school. We're buddies forever. Not anymore. She went on. She went on, she went on to be with the Lord. I mean, that's, that's the cold reality. We don't like to think about it, especially in America, in our Western culture, where we're very, you know, let, let's just stick our, hand in the, stick our head in the sand, not even think about it. But we're all gonna die. You better make sure that you're trusting that your ladder's leaned against the wrong building because you don't wanna get to the top and have it leaned against the wrong building. They worship influence, position, titles, on and on. It's all fleeting. Romans 14.10 says, you then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down upon them? For we all know and stand before God's judgment and it is written, as surely as I live, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God that he is Lord. Everyone, everyone. This woman at the well did it before she died. If you're rebellious and you hate God and you, and you, and you stand before him at the great white throne of judgment, you will have to bow your knee and you will still confess him to be Lord. And then you will receive your punishment. That's who he is. Salvation came to you and to me through his cross. That's why we have one too. In Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, if you wanna come after me, you've gotta deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my will will find it. What good would it be for a person if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Talking about salvation. Salvation is what he offers you. The American gospel promises you all kinds of extra accoutrement. Oh, you're gonna be healthy, you're gonna be wealthy, you're gonna be wise, it's gonna be amazing. No, you can have abundance, but it's not always financial. I mean, this mission team is gonna go to Guatemala right now. One of the things that impacted me was how happy those people can be without a cell phone. How happy they can be without two cars and air conditioning. How happy they can be not having ice how happy they can be without having carpet on their dirt floor. How happy they can be with black plastic as their walls and corn stalks as their walls. How happy and amazingly filled with joy they can be because they know Jesus. That's a reality check. So he's Messiah. He offers true salvation to who? To everyone. The Samaritans, right? The cosmos. Jesus loves everyone now, we just had a sports camp over at the uh, Dream Center a couple weeks ago, and we taught all these kids the basics of sports. One of them is baseball. And when I was a kid, which back in the day, what the young folks say, back in the day, uh, you only got three strikes. I think that's pretty much how it still kind of goes, although it's like, oh, no, it just keeps, no, 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 no. Baseball goes like this. Three strikes, you're out. I don't know if that's how it works today. I think they give them more than that sometimes, which I think is a mistake. But it's three strikes and you're out. That's it. No more. At three strikes, what happens? Drag your bat, your droopy down little pants and, and your hat all sideways. 
right? No, son, go back, sit down. Then you get back up to bed. Three strikes, you're out. Three strikes, you're out. Done. Well, this woman had more than three strikes against her. What were her strikes? Well, she was a Samaritan. We've already discussed how the Jewish people did not like Samaritans. Secondly, she was a woman, and 2,000 years ago, uh, the equality of women was uh, very much in question. They they weren't educated, they didn't get educated, they were looked down upon, et cetera, et cetera. And she was living in shame. How do I know she was living in shame? Well, she is getting her water at noon. When you are a woman and you are tasked with getting water, you don't wanna do it at high noon. Let me tell you, you don't wanna be anywhere at high noon in the Middle East. It's the hottest time of the day. So you wanna gather your water early in the morning or late at night when the sun is just set it down and the cool breeze begins to happen because you're carrying at, what is it, uh, eight pounds a gallon. So you got five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 40 pounds of water on your shoulder with a five gallon plus the pot itself, not made of PVC, not made of plastic. It's clay, it's heavy. So she had more than three strikes against her. In fact, she had five ex-husbands. Holy Toledo. Not because, not because she walked out on them, but because they kicked her to the curb. That's how divorce worked back in the day. She didn't say fooey on you. He said fooey. He said, get out. She had to five times. I mean, talk about, man, I'm a little shame, ashamed of that. Why can't I keep a husband? Why, why am I here in the middle of the day? What, you know, and here I am, a Samaritan. Here I am, a woman. I've got a lot of things against me. But the good news that we see in John chapter four is that Jesus does come to her and Jesus does talk to her and Jesus does submit to her that I am the Messiah and if you believe in me, you can have eternal life. You know what that is? That's not striking out. That's getting another turn at bat. In baseball, we call it riding the pine, the bench, the seat. You ride the pine. I struck out and I guess here I am. I'm just no good anymore. And you just sit there. You just sit like a bump on a log. Or grandma said, a wart on a pickle. You sit there like a wart on a pickle. <laughs> Frumpy, like Eeyore. Just nothing good. Until Jesus comes along. And he found her at the well. She had a deplorable batting average. Any decent team would have, should have traded her. They shouldn't have kept her around. Why do we even have you on the bench? Get out. You're broken, obviously. But that's not what Jesus thought. Jesus loved her. You know what he did? He took her shame. Now, Dr. Nichols alluded to this hymn last week. And it's one of my all-time favorite hymns. It's because it's loaded chock full of vitamins and minerals. It is called, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. And in my freshman theology class, I had to memorize all of the verses. One of our tasks was to memorize all the verses, and there's a lot of them, about seven or eight verses, to this song written by Charles Wesley. My favorite verse was the one that Dr. Nichols alluded to. It's verse number four, where it says, speaking of Jesus, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Well, 
what happens is you get your sins forgiven, but you can still wallow in the guilt of what it was that you did. Your sin is canceled, but there's still a power that it has over you. The abortion that you had, the time you did in prison, the time you slapped your spouse, the times you, you turned your back on your family, all the horrible, terrible, horrible things that you've done can still haunt you even though you're redeemed. This is why when Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth, they had to unbind him. He was alive, he came forth, but he still had to be unwrapped. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. So you get, you get this revelation that Jesus is Lord. You get saved, but on the inside, and my sister is so good at talking to people through this process. Breaking the power of canceled sin. Canceled sin still has a power. You know what it is? Shame and guilt. I still feel so bad that I have to do penance now. I have to do so many Hail Marys or Our Fathers or, or hand out 700 extra door flyers. I'm gonna pay my penance. It's either gonna be a Catholic penance or an evangelical penance. Still the same and it's still a sin. Trying to earn God's favor for what he's already forgiven. Hello, hello. Trying to earn God's favor for what he's already given you. If he has forgiven you, let me speak this over your life today. Let me break the power that canceled sin has on your life. Father, in Jesus' name, whatever is holding, whatever is holding your son back, whatever is holding your daughter back from loving you full throttle, that, 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 that enemy has come and attached a sound to their ear that constantly harasses them and harangues them and calls them guilty even though they're, they're not guilty anymore. I break that power off of your heart and off of your life. And I speak wholeness in mind and body and spirit that he who the Son sets free is absolutely free from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. You're free. You're free. Oh, I have so much more to tell you, but I'm reminded, I'm reminded, I'll, I'll close with this. I got some really good stuff but I'll, I'll close with this because I'm running out of time because I want to have the missions team up in a minute and I'm going to take an offering for them. I'm reminded of a story I learned many years ago from a young man from India. His name is Bijou. Some of you know Bijou. Bijou told a story one time and it's impacted me for many, many years. And he goes, there was two servants working for a king. They worked in the kitchen of the king. And the king was famous for the livestock that he had, in particular the ducks that the king raised. And one day the two servants were in the kitchen and one of the servants told the other servant, they did the dishes and they cooked the food. And, and one, of the, one of the servants told the other servant, I, I have a confession to tell you, listen, it's horrible. I accidentally killed the king's prized duck. And the other servant said, you did what? You killed the king's duck? He goes, yes. And so the, the first servant said, well, here, here's what we're gonna do about that. From now on, you're not only gonna wash your ditches, you're going to do all my tasks too and you're gonna make all the food. And the other servant said, what? What are you talking about? He goes, now I know that you killed the king's duck. Quack, quack, quack. And you will do all of my work or I will tell the king. 
And so weeks went by. And this poor servant was running himself ragged. And every time he stumbled and he, if he faltered at keeping both tasks, the other servant would go, quack, quack, quack. And then, the other, then he would just go back to his work and he would continue to do both of their work until he was nearly frazzled. And so the, the young servant who had killed the king's duck said, I can't live like this anymore. Can't keep it up. So he decided to go throw himself on the mercy of the king. So he went in to see the king and he told, he confessed to the king that I had killed your duck. And rather than kill the, kill the servant, the king forgave the young servant. And he was happy. He went back to the kitchen and he didn't wash the other servant's dishes. He didn't cook the food of the other servant. And the, and, and, and the first servant who held it over his head, hey, you need to start washing those dishes, quack, quack, quack. He says, I went and I told the king, your quack, quack, quack doesn't have power over me anymore. This is the story we have. This is the story we as believers have. The, den the enemy tries to hold it over your head, what you did, and go quack, 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 and remind you. He breaks the power of canceled sin, ladies and gentlemen. He sets the prisoner free. The title of this morning's message is No More Shame and a bucket being dipped into living water that's available for you. And so I'm gonna ask that the mission team come on up here if you would please for a moment. As they come, I wanna make a final point and that is this. The Samaritan woman, when she went back home to tell all the people she still had been married five times. She still was a woman and she still was a Samaritan. She still had all those strikes, but it didn't matter anymore to her. It didn't matter anymore to her. The quack, quack, quack had no more power over her life. And maybe she wanted to go with Jesus, but she didn't. Well, you know where she went? She went back home. Now these guys, they're gonna go, they're gonna go to Guatemala here this week. And they're gonna give a testimony. That's all they're being called to do. Just go and share their story. Like you're gonna share your story this week with somebody around you. Well, they're, they don't believe like us. All the more reason, bring them here. Amen. Well, they're just a seeker. They had a day doubt, bring them. I challenge, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with them after church. I'm not afraid. I don't have to defend Jesus. I just have to love like Jesus. This has been a message from Destiny Church in Springfield, Illinois. To learn more about our ministry, visit the episode description where you can find links to our website, ways to give, and more information about who we are. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationship. Relationship.